Hi, I'm Bailey. And I'm Serena. Welcome to Season 3 of the Creative Baggage Podcast. In this episode, we talk to cellist, educator, and activist Sasha Ono about changing the culture of classical music. Sasha tells us about her group, Lotus Chamber Music Collective, and how they tackle important issues such as racism and injustice through the lens of classical music in their programming, concert discussions, and book club. She also shares her personal journey constructing a new, healthier relationship with classical music, expressing the importance of teaching younger generations of musicians to do the same. Hi, my name is Sasha Ono. I am a cellist and a music educator in New York City. I'm also the founder and cellist in Lotus Chamber Music Collective. Uh, The main part of the collective is a string quartet, and we are really passionate about community, community building, and highlighting historically marginalized people as composers and performers. You invited me to the Lotus Chamber Collective Book Club. So I I mean, I think that's such a great idea. And I love that like the collective isn't just playing music, even though that's a huge part of it, that you have created an extra component for people to learn more. Um, so I was wondering if you could tell us about how that came about and maybe other initiatives that you might be doing that are similar. Yeah. So the book club itself came about during the pandemic. And it really came about over the summer of 2020, after the killing of George Floyd. And we were like, well, we can't make music, we can't, you know, play concerts really to bring awareness to this. And we were really struggling with you know, like, what can we do um, as artists and as musicians and just as people existing who have so many questions and who are just seeing so many questions brought up online, too? I think a big part was we're all really struggling with social media, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just seeing so many. Um, I think everybody was in a just a heightened state of emotion, regardless of how you're coming into the conversation, there's just such a high level of emotion that there was no real conversation and no, you know, at least visible space for us to ask questions. And for, you know, for me, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to have a space where people can be comfortable enough to ask the questions they need to ask in order to learn more. And that I felt was the way that we could really move forward Mm. in dialogue and really listen to what people's concerns were, people's questions and people's experiences were without so much fear of like, okay, I'm putting this in maybe a clumsy text into social media and then (laughs) it gets interpreted in, xyz ways and it just like look back later it's like oh I have a thousand and one comments you know or whatever it is so that's how it started um and in our concerts we had always included discussion and education about the composers and uh discussion questions about identity and how Mm. different components of our own identity and composers identity contributed to the way that they were able to live and the way that they're able to succeed and how kind of 
we as individuals can relate to that. So this just became, um, I think, an extension in a way of those little bits and pieces that we had been including in our concerts. So when you had those discussions in your concerts, were you like talking back and forth with audience members? Like, how did it work? So one example, I guess, of a concert we did around identity, we, for the most part, we didn't play piece for movements of a piece. We would, we picked very specific pieces and specific movements of pieces. And we used each of those movements to discuss an element of identity. So we would bring up, um, okay, how does, this is a female composer who is living in a time when that was very, very uncommon and not very accepted for women to become professional musicians or composers. And that, you know, whether she wanted it to or not, her gender <laughs> played a role um, in her success in her, every part of her life. And so we had these um, postcards that people could write on. Oh. So we would kind of ask that question and people would respond on the postcard. And then during uh, intermission, we had a space where people could hang up their cards and their responses. And uh, then during intermission, we had time to read some of the um, cards and, and things like that. So that was one uh, one concert, one way we, we tried to do that. That is so cool. I love it. I'm already so inspired. Um, <laughs> I love, first off, how you've, you're using like chamber music and, and this format in such a creative way. Um, but most, like, even more than that, what I love is the community education aspect and the creativity and, and, and just the warmth of that kind of environment is so important. Um, and I, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, ironically, um, about how as much as I love social media and I'm very grateful for the power that it's had to educate myself and mm-hmm. others, like, it to me is not, it's not education in its best form. Um, and I love to see things like a book club in a space where people are more free to speak to each other. I mean, I think even clubhouse has generated that kind of environment where mm-hmm. it's less of like keyboard warrior stuff. <laughs> um, and just a space for people to be and to educate in a way that's not only like accurate, respectful, and like wonderful but also like fun inviting and artistic so yeah the connectivity really makes it and I think we talk a lot in classical music about how to boost audience engagement and how to be more interactive because nowadays like people don't want to just sit there for two hours and listen like they want to be participating and doing something and maybe adding visual elements or adding other um, tie-ins to just the music and so like I'm wondering actually what your demographic of audience is Mm. because having that ability to just participate, I'm sure, makes people a lot more satisfied with like a concert going experience. Yeah. And that's been, I mean, some of our audience is dependent on the venues we go to. Mm. And that's just, you know, I think that's just kind of the nature of being in classical music, a lot of it is, especially in chamber music, you go to a, a venue or a music festival hires you to play a concert for them. 
and you're kind of tapping into their audience Mm. in a way. And so that, you know, in some ways in those spaces, our audience are set. Um, But in some ways that's really exciting for us because not everybody independently seeks out this kind of information on their own. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be a little bit scary to, you know, be like, okay, we're going to talk about racism and sexism (laughs) in America. Like, welcome to this classical chamber music concert. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating to walk into the spaces, but I think we just have such a strong belief in the importance of sharing these stories. And a lot of times we share it in a very, we share things in a very factual way at first, Mm -hmm. Um, just presenting, this is the composer, this is when they lived, this was their race, this was their gender, and that's how it impacted them. And then kind of going to a personal level, like how, do I as a performer relate to that? Or how do you as an audience member, as a human being, relate to their experience? And Mm. so that I think, you know, the feedback we've gotten so far from our audiences is they say like, we learned so much. We weren't expecting to, you know, learn about uh, the composers or that it adds to the listening experience to know about the composer or the historical context of a piece. Mm. Yeah, it. I love that. I love that element of engagement. And I think it's kind of important, you know, that we can, I don't know the best way to say it, but it's, it's important that we can bring these topics forward and have it not be in like a cheesy, like, oh, you know, PowerPoint presentation mm-hmm. way, but more authentically, like, this is how we connect to it. And this is how it affects us now. Um I just love it. I think that's so cool. Yeah, and I think that kind of back and forth, like we were talking about with Clubhouse and with talking to people in person or talking to each other in a book club, is that there is room for error. And I think what happens a lot on like type-based platforms is that you have all this time to craft what you're going to say. Mm -hmm. And so if you say something and other people don't like it, then you get called out or you start calling other people out. And then it's this really defensive, like, I worked so hard on this response. I worked so hard on this original post and you don't like it. So I'm mad at you. Um, Versus like, I've noticed that people have slips all the time in person, all the time um, in on Clubhouse or like if you're just talking to someone about heavy issues like it is really hard not to ever offend anyone or ever to say something insensitive Um, but there's so much more room for people to be like hey I understand what you mean but maybe don't say it this way or like oh um, let's keep talking about this so that we can really get down to the bottom of what is causing all of us to feel the ways that we do Um, and I'm wondering actually if that element like the kind of dipping toes into this conversation through maybe attending one concert of yours has brought people to the book club or to find out more about you and what you guys do yeah I think well I can only speak from a limited experience from that specific perspective because you know we started our book club I think in August Mm -hmm. and we meet every Wednesday um and we haven't had that many concerts just because of COVID. Yeah, that's true. 
But I will say um, we did two concerts in Ridgefield, Connecticut in the fall. And we really made it a point to openly talk about racism and name it and be very open about presenting music that was specifically about how racism impacts all of us and impacts impacted these composers' lives. So in that particular concert, I didn't know how the audience was really going to receive that. Mm -hmm. Um, For some context, where we were was a really wonderful artsy town, but I believe it's over 80% white Mm. in demographics. So I just wasn't sure how (laughs) it was going to be received, but... That concert, um, we did a virtual concert that was uh, for a community in Arizona. And then we more recently had our Lift Music fundraiser. Through those different concerts, people have joined a book club Mm. from those concerts. So it's just, yeah, it's really interesting to um, see these different book club members kind of engage on a a really consistent level with us from being an audience member one time at a concert to I see them every Wednesday for months. I was so surprised because I've popped in a few times and I've really, really enjoyed it. But I I like get the vibe that all of you guys have known each other forever. And I was like, where are these California people coming from? Like, how do you know them? They're not part of your group. Like, do you like, are you family friends? And then it just dawned on me that like of course if you're having these deep conversations with each other just like how we had those deep conversations on clubhouse like I feel like I know you really well and I feel like we could just already have this friendship connection that somebody that only knew each other like from a few interactions would never you know Um, so I think that part of it is so beautiful in terms of just it doesn't even have to be like the music isn't the core of it almost but the music is what facilitated everything coming together in that way yeah and I think that's successful community building right there such an important question that we ask ourselves as musicians is like why are we doing this Mm -hmm. and you know it's like yeah it's great to do this for yourself it's a great tool to like learn about yourself and learn about the way you think and discover things about the way you feel and how you learn. And then at some point, it's like, is this just for me? Or is there <laughs> something else that I'm doing? Yeah. You know, and even even a lot of performing can really become about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're performing and people are like, well, like amazing job or or I didn't love that or whatever it is, uh-huh. That's that's all centered on, you know, you. And I think that's why or where a lot of us put so much pressure on on ourselves and, you know, like put a lot of our personal worth and value in our performance. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important and wonderful thing about music is that it's like about the way that you feel when you come out of a concert. Or the about the connection you're able to make in any way to like parts of yourself or parts of someone that you never would have interacted with otherwise or something about the 
performance sparks a memory for you. And, and I think that's what's powerful about music is like the way that it can make you feel. And then for us, we're like, how can we go even beyond that? Yeah. I'm wondering, because you're always, I know, (laughs) I think that you're so inspiring because every time we talk to you, you have resources, you have action items, you have things that people can like tangibly do to help with this idea that like music's worth isn't just there and laid out for you, right? Like it maybe doesn't, I don't know. And I've struggled with this question, like is just playing music for the sake of music inherently anything um and so I'm wondering what you would say to someone who maybe is feeling like well what's the point of being in this industry that is so classist and racist and sexist and it's like entrenched in all this stuff that I don't like and I don't want like what would you say to someone um to shift their perspective or maybe to to try doing in order to kind of change that I think that's a great place to be. It's a hard place to be. It's a really hard place to be, especially if you've invested a lot of time and a lot of money into training to be a musician. And then you step back and you say, wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) It's a really hard place to be. But I think it's an important place to be. And by asking those questions continuously, I think it's not just a one-time I asked myself why I want to do this. And I thought about how, you know, this is inherently a racist and classist <laughs> system that I am now a part of. I think it's something I I find I have to continuously ask myself. Mm. And that, I think, is what get, will give you direction um, is just keep asking yourself why you're doing what you're doing. And then keep seeking answers actively. Like, wait, how is this system racist and classist? Like, what happened before? Mm -hmm. What's happening now? What do I want it to look like in the future? Is this the right space for me to be to make the change I want to make? Do I have to be in a different space? You know, like, who are the people I know who can help me? Or who are the people that are already doing some of the work that I can ask these questions to. I think, you know, just keep asking questions. Don't ever stop asking why you're doing what you're doing. I love that. I feel like we kind of make this assumption that like once you choose to do music for college, it's over and it's a given that that's the choice that you've made and you just questioned it one time (laughs) before you majored and you signed up for the school that you're going to. But really like, I first of all, I don't think there's any ever a shame in stopping. If there is a point yes. where you ask yourself, is this what I want to do? And the answer is I don't have reasons to be doing this, then maybe you should stop. And I, I think that like stopping, first of all, you can always come back. And second of all, like being real with yourself and being able to ask yourself that question, I think is the scariest part. And I think that yeah. sometimes when I'm avoiding my asking myself a question, it's because I'm afraid of the answer and it's not going to be, I think that it's not something that I want to hear, or I don't even want the possibility of the answer that I don't want popping into my mind. Um, but it's always a good thing to question what you're doing because if you don't you have to have good reasons for anything that you do 
Yeah. And I think importantly, it helps us stay fueled on the never ending fire that we have to burn because we all know that as classical musicians, there's not a point even, you know, past graduation, you're not going to get more diplomas unless you want to. There's no point when somebody looks at you and says, you're finished growing, <laughs> you know, like you have gotten as good as you'll ever be, you know? Um, and so asking ourselves those questions, I think helps us kind of add gasoline when we're feeling like, oh my God, I'm going to do this forever and there's no end. Um, and I think that it just helps. And it's it's part of, I think also part of what it means to be an activist too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the whole point of progress is that we continue to push towards it. Um, and although there are small goals and we see those goals articulated very well in the media, that's not the end you know? Yeah, um, there are always new problems. And I think that we see the new problem and we're like, oh, I just worked so hard to fix that last problem. Why is there another one? When we should be thinking this new problem can only be made apparent by the fact that we fixed the old one or that we've made progress on the previous one. So I think that part of it it's hard to digest. And I think that I still have trouble with it sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I'm working so hard. I can't wait for it all to be fixed. And then I can just be happy and comfortable. And like, that doesn't happen because there's always the next thing. And the next thing is only magnified when the first thing has faded. So we just have to keep that in mind. Yeah, uh, it's really hard. But was your career direction always fueled by this passion for activism and progress? Um, And if so, or I guess if not, um, did you suddenly feel better about who you were as a classical musician when you decided to take your career in this direction? Mm, That's a really good question. I think on on some level, I always had an awareness about activism. I think just the nature of the family I was raised in. I was raised in a family of activists. Mm, (laughs) Um, But it wasn't necessarily at the forefront of my mind or at all part of my music making until after college. My grandparents uh, were an interracial couple and just to give a little context, my grandfather's almost 100 years old. So, <laughs> so when they were married, their marriage was not legal because interracial marriage was not legal. And they both became, and my, my grandmother was um, also interned in the internment camps in the U.S. during World War II. She was living in California. She was part Japanese, even though she was born in California. Her parents were born in California, but she was, as a 13-year-old girl, you know, forced to pack up one suitcase and, like, taken from her home. Mm. And I think through her experience and then my grandfather's experience as a Jewish-American man who went into the army and kind of saw what was going on during World War II. And after they became so passionate about creating a better future. And they really passed that on to my mom, who was a really strong activist during the civil rights movement. And 
I'm sure that got passed on to me <laughs> growing <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was very intent on fitting in. I would just wanted to fit in and I stuck out like a sore thumb. I I grew up as like one of the only Asian people in our entire town. And I wanted nothing more than to just fit in and whatever, you know, made that happen. I was, I wanted to do that. And then I think classical music training and schools demand a lot of conformity. Mm -hmm. You have to play things a certain way. You have to achieve certain things. You have to get into certain schools. You have to, you know, play for the right teachers. And I went all in on that. And then I was miserable. (laughs) I was like, where's the part of music that I used to really enjoy doing? I don't like this anymore. (laughs) You know, it's just like, it's just not, it's not that I didn't like it. It just wasn't enjoyable to constantly feel like I'm in competition with my friends and my peers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just didn't, I was like, what's the point if I'm better at playing scales than you know, my colleague. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, very long story short, I actually injured myself uh, to the point I couldn't play for two years. And that's when I really had to question what it is I wanted to do. Mm. Um, And I very easily could have been like, I don't want to go to physical therapy for like two years (laughs) and, and do this. Like, why would I do that to myself? I could just do something else. And I really had to choose music. And I think because I had to choose it all over again, Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it the way I wanted to do it. And so I just fell back in love with playing. And I just wanted to, like, protect that joy that I had for for making music. Mm. And so just, I was like, I really want to protect the love I have for playing music. And I want to bring back this feeling of community and enjoyment and joy and just like making music with others. We used to have these big parties where people would come over and make food and make music for like hours. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And that was all I wanted to do. I was like, let's just make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I identify with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, so during that time um, when you couldn't play and you were actively making a choice to recover and and be able to play again, like, what did you do to stay connected to the music and, and to what, and I guess, like, what did you do to kind of have yourself reflect in the way to come to this like really strong conclusion of what you wanted? Well, I'll say the first thing is that it was really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> As I mean, I think anyone who's had a, any kind of like physical impairment or injury in not be able to do the thing that you think you're supposed to do mm-hmm. that you're really invested in. It's just, depressed it's really depressing (laughs) and it's really hard but uh I didn't I think I didn't want to admit it for a long time I didn't want to admit how like 
badly I was injured. Mm. And at first, I just kept trying to play. That's all I wanted to do. And eventually, my physical therapist told me, she was like, if you don't take your physical therapy seriously, you can't even really tie your shoes right now. You're going to have to get, like, a rib removed and then maybe not even be able to, like, do very much. And I was like, okay, I'll take it seriously. (laughs) But I just thought that what's really most important for me is that I want to become a happy with the way I'm living my life. And some of that came from a resentment towards how stiff and like unwelcoming sometimes the classical music community can be. And I just didn't want myself or anyone else feel like they had to be in that environment in order to be a musician Mm -hmm. or in order to connect with classical music. Because I was like, I fell in love with classical music way before I got into this environment. And it almost made me love it less to be in an environment that felt so just... I don't know, devoid of, like, oxygen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great descriptor. (laughs) So I think that also contributed to me being a music educator, is that I wanted to give that experience to students, for, for students to feel like they had the freedom to really be themselves and the tools not to get injured like I got injured Mm. and just to feel like you can change someone else's experience with classical music and change your own experience with it. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave us a review, and consider becoming a monthly donor. You can also follow us on Instagram at creative.baggage and check out our website, creativebaggagepodcast.com.